Welcome to the Cosmic Navigator Astrology Show. Today we have the moon in Libra, trining a beautiful sun in Aquarius. Even though we have everything almost retrograde, still things are fine, almostly. But um, what I wanted to talk about today is a little example of the shadow of Mercury retrograde. But like I promised, I want to take you through a journey to see how you can actually find where the North Node and Uranus are actually going to meet together. We talked about it a few times here, but I wanted to make sure that you can actually find a way in your chart to see what are the areas in your life where you're going to see this conjunction, which is very rare. I'll give you the historical times that Uranus was a conjunct a North Node in Taurus because, as we said, the North Nodes are always retrograding. Uranus is going direct right now and they're going to basically clash together or meet uh, in a very strong hugging uh, phenomenon. Uh, that's, again, very rare. The North Node represents what we need to focus on. It's now in Taurus. Uranus has been in Taurus since 2018, but more dominantly from 2019 until about 2026. So we have this rare situation where both of them are coming together around 18 degrees Taurus. That means 18 days. Uh, if you're born around 18 days after the beginning of Taurus, the beginning of Taurus is usually April 20th. You're talking about uh, if you're born around May 8 or so. So if you're born around May 5 to 10, you're feeling that very strongly on your sun. But in general, we're going to talk about the dates when these two guys come together. It's very rare. Again, Uranus comes into Taurus every 84 years. Uh, the North Node comes into Taurus every 19 years. But they meet together kind of rarely. I think that uh, we'll talk about the dates in a second. I think the last time was 1855. We can um, see maybe certain glimpses of what was happening then, historically speaking. But usually what it represents for 2022 is some kind of a awakening in science that is going to start happening from around May, June, all the way up until September, peaking in the end of July, beginning of August. So again, more important to see what and how it relates to your chart and where to find it in your chart. But let's see what I actually prepared. And if we'll have time, I read this really amazing article uh, today from um, uh, Haaretz. It's a magazine. It's a it's a newspaper I really respect from uh, Israel, and they have a great article there by Neta uh, Achitov, which I really recommend if you can find it. I think you can might even find it in English. She reports from Amsterdam, and we'll talk about the connection between that uh, beautiful article about children's happiness and Aquarius and Leo. So we'll talk about that if uh, time Saturn permits. One of the thing is that next week, uh, inshallah, I'll make it to LA. I think I'm supposed to get there Wednesday, Thursday. And on Saturday, February 5th, if you're in LA or know people in LA, I'm going to do an actual live event of book signing at 4 p.m. And the lecture on the astrology of 2022 includes also a book now, next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a special guest. I'm going to do it via Zoom and also on live Instagram with Laura Day, uh, my very good friend, a bestseller author of The Circle, Practical Intuition. I recommend her books uh, all the time. She actually does every morning a, a free session when she wakes up uh, in New York time and people gather together a lot of healers and they exchange a lot of uh, uh, intuition and psychic hits highly recommended and we're going to discuss things that relates to Aquarius because we are now in the age of Aquarius and we are now in Aquarius so it's almost like once a year we get to the capital of the age of Aquarius and that's where we are from January 20th until about February 18th 
So we'll talk about groups, communities, intuition, accessing the future, because Aquarius is the sign of the future. We'll talk about forward memories. So if you can send me some of your questions on my email, that's the best, so I can copy-paste, gal, G-A-H-L, 108 at yahoo.com. Then I can uh, use them when we talk to Laura next uh, Sunday. So, a, a little bit of Mercury retrograde. I don't know if you use uh, Roku, but Roku customers reported being stuck on a loading screen. So, if it happened to you, it's nothing to do with your TV or your Roku. It has to do with Mercury retrograde. And, of course, because Venus is also retrograde, it has to do also with visual things that go a little bit off. Roku is aware. Uh, that's the uh, official company release. Roku is aware of an issue reported by users who are unable to access some Roku services. The company said, if you are trying to activate your device, please try again later. They mean after Mercury goes direct. Our priority is to get this resolved as soon as possible. Again, after Mercury goes direct. And another thing that was in the news is 5G uh, retro. Because airlines around the United States started canceling some flights because of G, uh, 5G concerns, um, because they were trying to make this upgrade to 5G signals and, and a lot of the masts around airport, which is a silly thing to do during Mercury retrograde, if you kind of think about it. Mercury retrograde in Aquarius. What is Aquarius? An air sign, right? Airlines are suddenly starting to uh, act out. So definitely they decided to postpone it or at least keep like two, three miles of radius from airports and not do the upgrade just in case during Mercury retrograde, there's going to be some glitch and airplanes start bumping against each other. You know, totally makes sense. That usually happens during Mercury retrograde. And what I wanted to show you guys is that the same way that some celebrities or stars are not exempt from the rules of the people, especially in the age of Aquarius and especially in democracies like Australia, I wanted to show you that also astrology affects everybody equally. Not um, It doesn't skip over um, stars, especially if they're great stars or great tennis players like Novak Djokovic. So I don't follow his career, unfortunately. I don't watch tennis. Sorry, some of you guys probably followed it much more. And I'm not going to get into yes, vaccine, not vaccine. We talked about it quite a lot. But I wanted to see how it unfolded so that next time Mercury goes direct, a retrograde, and next time you have the shadow, you'll understand how to behave with it. Because remember we talked about, yes, we know there is Mercury retrograde three, four times a year. This year we are having it right now until February 5. Then we're having it in um, May 10 until June 2nd. And then October, uh, September 9, 18, October 2nd or so. So those times we know are Mercury retrograde. We have to be careful not to sign anything, to be careful what we're saying, like I should be right now. But what right we have started noticing is as everything becomes more sensitive, the climate, the earth, people, uh, you know, you can't say that, you can't say that. The same thing is happening as above, so below with the planets. So we started so talking about how we have to pay attention to the shadows, that uh, little things start um lurking in the shadows, especially with the importance uh, retrogrades, Mercury retrogrades, Venus retrograde. And when Mars starts retrograde October 30th, we'll talk about his shadow for sure, because Mars is the ruler of Scorpio, and he's going to be retrograde while uh, we are going to have the sun transiting in Scorpio. In fact, very close to Halloween. So we definitely are going to go talk about the shadows uh, when we get there. But it's good to start realizing that, yes, a week, week and a half before the retrograde, you do have to start paying attention because... 
it can get a little bit rough with the um, shadows. So let's look at what happened precisely. You probably know the story of um, Djokovic, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Anyway, December, and he's a Gemini, so it's very important Mercury retrograde. If you're a Gemini, if you're a Virgo, Mercury retrograde is very important. So it all started in December 16, a few days before Venus goes retrograde, December 19, remember? So we're deep in the shadow of uh, Venus retrograde, and she was right on Pluto when he gets tested uh, for COVID, which happens to almost half of the population right now. Anyway, January 4, January 4, we're deep in um, a... Venus retrograde, but Mercury is in his shadow, two degrees Aquarius. And Djokovic claims that he received a travel visa with a vaccine exemption permission because he is already um, uh, cured from or he's over the COVID. Now, January 5, it's Mercury shadow, three degrees Aquarius. Border agent in Melbourne questioned the validity of the visa application and detains him. We're in the shadow and we're in the shadow of Aquarius. What is Aquarius? Governments, organizations, democracy. Democracy means the rule of law for everybody equal. It doesn't matter if you're a tennis star or if you're a celebrity or if you're the Queen of England. It's supposed to follow everybody. That's the idea behind Aquarius. And again, we're in the shadow. We haven't gotten into Mercury retrograde, right? Mercury retrograde is supposed to start in the 16th, but you're going to already start feeling it stationary in the 14th of January. Anyway, January 5, Mercury shadows three degrees uh, Aquarius. We talked about the border agent, and he is questioning the validity. On January 10, Mercury shadow eight degrees Aquarius, because Mercury is still going direct, but he's going to go direct over all the places that Mercury later on is going to be retrograding. A judge citing a legal technicality rules that the, uh, the Djokovic can be released and can enter the country again. You see that you're back and forth here between the authorities, and we haven't even gotten yet to Mercury retrograde, but we are deep, deep in the shadow. Then we have January 14, Mercury is stationary in Aquarius. That's, I told you, the worst time of Mercury retrograde or Venus retrograde. Those two days before it's retrograde and the two days before it goes direct, the planet is frozen, stuck. So... January 14, right when Mercury is stationary in Aquarius, Australian immigration minister cancel Djokovic visa. So even though the judge says he can come in, now in Mercury stationary, the Australian immigration minister himself says, no, you can't. January 16 is the first day of Mercury retrograde, and he is deported. Back you go. After appeals court uphold the government's decision. So in between those dates, there was an appeal court. So you see, right on January 16. He was still there, stuck in Australia. I don't know where in Australia, but he was stuck there. Now in January 16, he's retrograding. He's returning back away. Now in January 21, Mercury is retrograde six degrees uh, when the French minister said that a new vaccine pass approved by the French parliament on Sunday, and it, quote, applies to everyone, to volunteers and to elite sports people, a little bit of uh, on the nose, including those coming from abroad until further notice, meaning that if you want to come and participate in the Open French um, a tournament, it's going to be in May 22nd, you have to have a vaccine a certificate. It's not enough to be uh, cured from COVID or getting it and later on ungetting it. So it means that he will not be able to play May 22nd Open French during the next Mercury retrograde. So you see how these Mercury retrogrades are linked. And that's why I always uh, had that theory that the retrogrades are connected. They're almost like telling us a story. A first act, second act, third act. 
So you can always see what is kind of crazy now in your life and what is going on with your Mercury retrograde until February 5 to know that a certain second act is going to happen in May uh, 10 until June 3rd approximately and again September 9 until uh, October 3rd. Because what I want you to see here is not what's going to happen to him if he's going to play or not. Who cares? What is important is how you can take that story because stars and sports people are mythological. They're bigger than life. Uh, they're famous. They're recognized. So their energy kind of like uh, inspires us and sometimes are not inspiring us. But what's important to see is that they, sometimes we can see through them because of the drama and because it's very communicated what is going on. Now, it's interesting because in June 27. There is going to be the Wimbledon um, competition or, or tournament. That's no shadow, no Mercury retrograde. And so far, England said, no, you can come. No problem. Vaccine, not vaccine. You're totally fine to come with us. So again, it's kind of interesting to see how this retrograde is affecting uh, our lives. Hope this makes sense. And what I want to take us into the Uranus in... Um, a Taurus, which happens every 84 years, it happens to be that in Djokovic's chart, he's having right now in 2021 something that happens every 84 years. And that could be related to what's going on with him with that specific Mercury retrograde that he has a, on July, September and April of next year. Something again. Sorry, he had it already in July of 2021 in September, end of September 2021. And he still has it in April 2022. So that could totally be affecting his life. Uranus, the planet of unpredictable energy, the awakener, the disruptive energy is at the bottom of his chart. So the place that he's affected by Uranus in North Node conjunction that I told you is very rare is actually taking place in his house of home and family. So no wonder he had contracted COVID in his own country, trying to get to another country, and there is a whole mess there. So sometimes it's also important to see in context of the Mercury retrograde what is happening in the bigger picture of your chart. Another thing that's happening when Uranus is in Taurus, I, there was just a research that came out right now that the amount of chemical produced now in the world is 50 times the amount from 1950 and will triple uh, until 2050. And now the mass of plastic surpasses the mass of all mammals, including whales, living on the Earth. So think about it. That's kind of disturbing. And Uranus is the awakener. He is in Taurus, which has to do with Mother Nature. So he's definitely trying to wake us up. And also, um, Uranus is science, technology, innovation, and plastic was some kind of like, whoa, the biggest innovation in the 50s. And now we're seeing the ramification of it. So <clears throat> finding your own North Node conjunction with Uranus. It's kind of simple. I think that with uh, people from Instagram, Maybe um, next time you can, or maybe you can email me and then I can send you uh, the recording as well of what I'm saying, showing in Zoom because I'm going to have to show something, but I'll explain everything so you can do it at home, maybe even on your phone. So Uranus, we said, once in 84 years comes to Taurus, Mother Nature, finance, everything has to do with um, uh, your values, your talents, your self-worth. What you feel you're worthy. You know, we always talked about that more important than money are your talents and your value. How much you value yourself, how much you value your talents, that will determine your financial situation. That's Taurus. Uranus talks about awakening this, awakening new talents. But it sometimes disrupts things. So think about it. You're sleeping. 
And suddenly there's an alarm clock that awakes you up. You're disturbed. Maybe you had an amazing dream, but that was a dream and you're a human. You're supposed to live your life. You have to get up and wake up. So that's Uranus waking us up, waking up from some kind of slumber, some kind of sleep. And maybe we have been sleeping a little bit with our connection to Mother Nature or even our dealing with finance. So from May this year until September of 2022, we are having the conjunction <coughs> of the North Node, the planet, the, the sign that tells us what is called the Ascending Node. It what shows us um, what we need to focus on now as a collective, all of us. You might have your North Node someplace else and you might have your North Node someplace else. But as humanity right now, as a collective, and we're in the age of Aquarius, which is the age of people, we're all now supposed to figure out how to deal with Taurus energy. So that's where we are right now. And since it happens to be that Uranus is awakening the energy of Taurus, that's great because it's conjuncting, it's coming together. It's kind of two messages at the same time. Now, they're going to be actually on the same degree, which is, I told you, 18 uh, Taurus from July 18 until August 7. And it's going to be activated by Mars, meaning that a planet is coming there and triggering it even more. And Mars is definitely about awakening. Mars is the ruler of Aries and um, Scorpio between July 30th to August 2nd. So again, it's like zooming in. July 18, uh, let's say May until September. It's generally that time because it's very rare. You want to zoom in July 18 to August 7. You want to zoom, zoom even more, more, more July 30th to August 2nd. It gives us like three, four days. Last times it happened was in, in 2017. 1185, 1352, which is kind of interesting because 1352 is basically almost like three years after the Black Plague reached all the way to London and started consuming it. And a few years after, what happened was definitely a decrease in the population that caused shortage in labor, which made rise in wages, which is kind of interesting because the great resignation that's happening right now, the, the, rage, the wages are rising. Of course, also we have inflation, but it's kind of interesting parallel that is happening to the same time that uh, Uranus and uh, North Node was happening. Then we have March 16 of 1520. It also happened 1687, 1855. And now it's going to happen officially in the peak of it is July 22nd, 2022. So that I'm talking about it already now because I want you to prepare for it. It's not something I can wait for. Oh, by the way, this week, uh, Uranus and North Node is coming together in Taurus, blah, blah, deal with it. It's something that you need to prepare for. So how to uh, find, did I have anything? No. No, that's the, if we'll have time. So let's look how you find it, actually. So first of all, you can go to any kind of application that has to do with, um, wait, discovery, I can, uh, I wonder if I can uh, share that screen with you guys or it will be impossible. You guys can tell me if you can see what I'm doing. Um, so, I'm basically going to CosmicNavigator.com. Uh, can you guys see it? Anybody can see if you can see it? Anybody? Anybody? Yes, you can see it. Great. Yes. So now in Cosmic Navigator, I go to Learn. Um, and I open Learn. Can you guys see Learn? Anybody? Can Yes. Okay. So from now, it's probably going to work. So you go to CosmicNavigator.com and you go under Learn. And you scroll down, you'll see very easily Astro Chart. It's going to take you 
to a website that you guys can go directly. Uh, astro, it's horoscope-astros-seek.com, birth chart. You know, go to my website. It goes there directly, and then you can see it. You guys can still see it here in Zoom, um, what I'm looking at. I mean, I assume you can see it. Great. So here you have an engine that's free. There's no problem. You can um, uh, do as many charts that you want. You're not going to be bothered by sending email, confirmation, all that nonsense. That's why I really wanted that age engine. So again, go to my website, CosmicNavigator.com. One of the tabs is called Learn. You click on Learn, and then you scroll down to Astro Chart. You click on that, and now you have this engine here that you can fill in a your information so let's imagine i was born april, january 1st 1970 at midnight and where i was born let's say i was born istanbul because i'm in istanbul now it pops up calculate chart very very simple you need to know your time though so to do this the right way you need <coughs> to be able to see your rising sign and all that so try to get from your mother your uncle your brother your whatever your time of birth that will really really help us so um, you generate your chart. You can generate as many charts. You can do it for yourself, for your kids, for everybody. So once you clicked on it, you're going to see an image pop up and you're going to be able to see precisely the your chart. Then what you have to do is what we're interested in doing, doing is seeing where you have a um, Taurus. And if you look at your chart, you will see a place where you have a little circle with little horns. That will be Taurus. Circle with little horns up top. It doesn't take a genius to predict that this is the sign of Taurus. And if you scroll down, you'll see that in the bottom here in, um, a, where is it? Houses. You see in the right side, you have houses. It will say AC. AC is your ascendant. You can see immediately what your rising sign is or ascendant. And you can go down there and look to see where you have Taurus. You're always going to have Taurus someplace unless it's intercepted. Intercepted means that you're going to see a house that is ruled by Aries. And then you're going to see the next house ruled by Gemini. If that happens, you know that under the house which is ruled by Aries is where you have Taurus. So even the list, you're missing Taurus. It doesn't mean that you're Taurusless. It just means that Taurus is intercepted, that your house is really big and it contains Taurus inside. So then you look at the house that is ruled by Aries and Aries look like that red um, ram, like the horns of the ram. And you know that that house, whatever it is, is the house that is associated with your Taurus. If it says D.C., it's not Washington, D.C. or District uh, Federal, uh, Federal DF. Anyway, D.C., it's um, uh, the seventh house, the house of relationship. So what you do is you basically look into what house, what area in your life you have Taurus. That will be the best way to identify <clears throat> what is need to wake up in your uh, life right now. And because right now we're going to have Uranus in uh, Taurus and the North Node in Taurus, and they're converging in the middle of Taurus. That's good for you to just see where in what house do you have the middle of Taurus. Now, the good thing about these charts from my website is that you can see the houses written there. One, two, three, four, five, six. You see they're counterclockwise. Don't get too much into the technicality, but wherever you have your North Node and your Uranus is 
the place where your chart you have the middle of Taurus. That's always easy to remember because 18 degrees is about the middle of Taurus. And that's where you are awakened. So, for example, if we look at this chart precisely, if you're with me on Zoom, uh, you can see that Taurus is in the 8th house. If we look at the 8th, oop, yeah, it is right here, you can see. And here is where it will be. Uranus and the North Node meeting. Their rendezvous is right there. So, let's look at all the houses and what each house can represent. So, first of all, if you have it in your first house, it's because you're a Taurus rising, most likely. And that means that your whole body, your direction in life, who you are, your image of yourself, how even other people see you, is awakening. This is a great time for a new diet. It's a great time for exercises. It's a great time to, you always wanted to be an artist or you always wanted to use a certain talent. Maybe it's a talent of managing people instead of being managed by people. Maybe that talent has to do with um, cooking. It doesn't really matter. Whatever that talent is, it's trying to awaken you and your body and your identity so you can follow that path because the rising sign is the path that you choose in this lifetime to get to your goals. And right now, because Uranus and uh, the North Node are waking you up, it's trying to connect you to your body, to your path, to your direction. If you have it in the second house, great, because the second house is the house of money, the house of talents, the house of self-worth. It's the natural house, what we call, of Taurus. So Taurus it loves to be there. And what means the Uranus in um, North Node is an awakening. And uh, the North Node is also the, the point of good karma. It's what your soul wants to wake up. So again, the conjunction of the North Node, which is what your soul desires, and Uranus, is your soul is waking up. Your dragon is, is your soul is riding the dragon. And it wants you to awaken, to bring some kind of enlightenment in a sense. In what sphere? In the sphere of Taurus. Again, talents. The five senses, uh, design, uh, anything to do with finance, anything to do with your self-worth, with your values, what you believe in. So it's an awakening of that in your house of money, talents, and self-worth. So obviously, uh, a new talent is awakened. Maybe you need to spend a little bit of money or time or faith in a talent that is coming your way so that you can translate it and ground it into money. Because remember, Taurus is very practical. It's very pragmatic. It's a fixed earth sign it wants you to succeed you know even the moon in taurus and the north node is related to the moon remember it's the nodal uh, the, the the lunar nodes the moon in taurus is exalted so the moon loves to be in taurus the north node loves to be in taurus so again it means that you have to awaken your talents if you have it in the third house Maybe something is waking up with your writing, with your message. There might be some kind of an awakening uh, of your way of communicating. So you're now finding new ways to take your talents, Taurus, um, what your soul desires, North Node, uh, awake it, connect it to technology innovation because of Uranus, and find a path with it that could be connected to writing, communication, networking, finding the infrastructure of your communication. You're building new highways, new trains, new airports, you know. So that's your upgrade, updating your business, your communication skills. Sometimes it also means that a brother, sister, relative could wake you up because it's also the house of... Um, siblings sometimes it's a roommate sometimes it's even a neighbor if you have it in the fourth house uh, like uh, our tennis player we just uh, talked about it means some chain shake shaking of the tree think about it as like that because 
this the, the house of home is at the bottom of your chart here you can see the house of home starts right here and remember the houses always go counterclockwise so the beginning of the house is always counterclockwise so here we have the beginning of the first house it lasts appeal until here the two the second house starts here so it's always counterclockwise so the bottom of the chart is always going to be your house of home and family. It's not that your house of family is the bottom, but it is, in a sense, your uh, bottom because it's like the place where everything is kind of leaking towards. That's the place where you have the most amount of emotional energy. That's like, you know, your basement, in a sense. So it's very subconscious. Anyway, if it's awaking you, something with your DNA is awakening. Maybe something with your epigenetics is waking up. Uh, maybe there is a family member that's waking you up. Maybe you get pregnant. Maybe uh, you get pregnant with uh, some talent that runs down the generation. So we're talking about even ancestral karma or ancestral uh, abilities that go through your genetics or your, through your environment. Uh, there could be a musical skill or, like we said, a, a, a cooking skill or a sculpting skill that comes from the past or maybe even a money-making skill. So what is happening is also there could be something waking up with your family structure or with real estate, but really with your emotions. Your emotions are trying to wake up and open up a talent or a new source of income. If you have it in the fifth house, it might be related to your connection to children. Maybe a child is waking you up. Maybe your inner child is waking you up. Again, always think Uranus is innovation, upgrade technology. Taurus, talents, self-worth, money, planet Earth. Whatever is the house and is what the area in your life where all of this is interacting. So with the fifth house, it relates to love. Maybe you are falling in love. Maybe love is awakening you up. It doesn't have to be a love to a person. It could be a love to a project, to a hobby, to a sport. If you have it in the sixth house, it could be very much related to your work, your health, your diet, your routine. Uranus in the house of health can bring some, uh, some problem with health that wakes you up to a problem that you might have had for a long time that you need to fix. It also could mean um, some new form of service because the sixth house has to do a lot with service. Serving people maybe online or through technology, or through innovation, maybe serving mother nature, maybe serving through an awakened talent. If you have it in the seventh house, it has to do a lot with the energies of communication. Uh, sorry, the house of um, seventh house is the house of relationship, partnership, contracts. Uh, sometimes it talks about awakening an enemy because they're contradicting your values. So you have to be careful not to get into wars, especially legal wars, without a reason. You can wake up your values without having to compare them to other people or fight with other people. You can focus on what is important for you in life without necessarily having to deal with what is uh, important for you to kind of fight with another person or to have like some kind of contradiction. So you could find who you are without contracting yourself in uh, the contrast, I mean, with another person. So always be a little bit careful with the seventh house. Yes, it's relationship, it's marriage, but it could also be old stuff that you have to do in partnership that wakes you up and, and comes to the surface in order to deal with it. Maybe your values have changed and therefore the relationship is changing. Remember, Uranus is disruptive. I'm not trying to sugarcase it, you know, uh, sugarcoat it. And this is not the case. You know, we, we are, you have to be aware. Uranus is the joker, the fool. He's disruptive. He's, uh, he can be associated with chaos, but it's not a chaos that tries to destroy. It's a chaos that tries to uh, break away the old and bring something new. It's a revolution. You can also change Uranus with rebellious tendencies and taking yourself and thinking outside of the box, in a sense. If you have it in the eighth house, well, it could be an awakening of sexy time. It could be awakening uh, done by death and a letting go of something. It could also be uh, talents that you have to deal with and work with 
that is related to other people. So this is the house where you can collaborate with other people's talents, other people's monies, investments, inheritance. But it is the house of the occult. Something is waking up. Maybe it's a time for you to upgrade or update your uh, connection to the occult, your connection to uh, how you deal with magic. It could also be an awakening of your own um, abilities, especially healing abilities can be very, very powerful right now. If you have it in the ninth house, it, that's the house of uh, everything that has to do with um, higher education, truth, philosophy. Maybe the teacher in you is awakened. Maybe the talents that have to do also with learning something so that you can teach it later on. Uranus also in the ninth house could relate to multinational corporations, traveling to foreign cultures, uh, foreign traditions that could be uh, related to what you're doing or connecting much more to foreigners and foreign cultures and foreign traditions. So that, again, could be very, very significant uh, in the next um, uh, year or so. If you have it in the house of career, of course, it's an awakening of your career, something opening up very strongly in connection to your career. It sometimes can relate to a father figure or a mother figure, depends who's more dominant in the family. But it really talks about having to be changing your path in your career or bringing new talents and new energy into your house of career. So uh, if we got stuck a little bit with um, Instagram, sorry again, eighth house, the awakening of your cult, your uh, ability to um, uh, connect to your talents, especially healing talents, death and transformation, awakening your talents through an inheritance. Maybe somebody is leaving you even some abilities to succeed in what you want. Ninth house is about traveling, foreign cultures, foreign traditions and education. Tenth house, career. Uh, connecting to a new path of your direction is changing. Maybe some kind of awakening with bosses or you awakening the boss inside of you. And if it's in the 11th house, it's really interesting because Uranus is the natural ruler of the 11th house, which means an awakening that has to do with companies, organizations, nonprofit, NGOs, governments, anything to do with uh, friends. It could be that a friend awakens you to your talents or you discover a talent through a company or through a club or through an organization that com you come together with. And if you have it in the 12th house, it is an awakening of your mystical energies. That could be done through meditation, through past lifetimes. It could be skills and memories from past lives that come to you uh, in order to really wake you up. So that was the round of um, how you could focus on or how you can find your uh, Taurus and see in what area in your life you need to feel that awakening. Sometimes what you could do actually is you could decide, I'm not going to look for it too much. I'm going to be receptive. I'm going to look later on and see what happened in my life in May, June, July, August and figure out in what way was I awakened and then look at my chart to see precisely what happened. That also is a very good way uh, to work with it. Also, I, I like that sometimes looking, I call it retrospective astrology. Instead of trying to predict or to focus our energy, we're basically saying, let me have it and then I'll figure out how it relates to my chart. And maybe if I survive to the next time it happens in like probably 2,200 or something, I'll already know uh, what's up. So I hope that makes sense. What I wanted to do also, if I can do really fast, uh, is share with you this article that I literally read today um, while I was on the treadmill. Uh, it's a place I find very interesting to read uh, because it has to be very interesting. If it's something not interesting, I can't do it while doing cardio. Um, and... 
That way, if the article is really good, I share it with you. And it happens to be today, so I decided that makes total sense. It's a synchronicity. What is the article about? It actually is um, from Haaretz, like I told you, from Neta Achitov. And it is uh, talking about where in the world are the happiest kids. And for that, she had to go all the way to Amsterdam and she reported from Amsterdam. Um, why I'm sharing it with you? Because it actually found out the reason why the kids are the happiest in the world in Netherlands already for the last 20 years, but researched uh, through, or at least from UNICEF, which is the United Nations Children's Fund. They have this special poll, these special scores for countries, and it's for the last, what is it, almost nine years, they always win number one in Netherlands. And think about it, Netherlands is not the richest place in the world. Actually, it's number 14. And rich countries like United States, for example, is 41 all the way in the bottom. So it's nothing to do with wealth, uh, the richness, which is something we know already from before. But the question is, why is it in Netherlands? And she went to discover it. And it's interesting because what she discovered is that Aquarius community will see why. And the opposite sign of Aquarius is Leo, which is children and happiness. So it's kind of interesting, this combination between Leo and Aquarius, their opposite sign. And I told you, whenever we talk about one sign, you have to immediately reflect to the other sign. It's always working together. It's no, no more only focusing on one sign. So Aquarius is community. The opposite sign of Aquarius is Leo, which rules children and happiness. And this is the subject of this article about happiness and children. And in this lifetime, I don't have kids. Maybe I have memories from past lifetime with kids. But I do talk a lot about um, with parents in their charts about children. So you're going to see a lot of suggestions here that could be very, very practical. And I'll show you the book that is recommended to also read if you have kids, if you have grandchildren, even if um, or especially if you're not living in Amsterdam or in the Netherlands. So children, uh, why is it so, what, what she discovered basically in her article, which is interesting, is that children are running free in the Netherlands, especially in parks. They build these big parks for kids to run free. But the difference between parks in the Netherlands and let's say in England, United States or other places or Israel is that the parents are also happy. A lot of time you look into a, a children's parks and the children are kind of having fun and the parents are like a little bit stern are worried are constantly looking trying to run after them so they don't break a leg or a, an arm what is happening in the netherlands is that they build their children's park around coffee shops or wine bars so the parents are chilling out in the middle of the park and around them are the kids running freely so the parents are actually enjoying coming there to the park and they their fact that they're having good time makes the children have more time. We always think, oh, we'll take our kids to Disneyland, we'll watch them uh, go through the rides, and we'll be so happy for them. No, I mean, kids are not that selfish like we think, even though all kids are ruled by Leo, which can be egocentric, but still, kids want to know that you would that you're having fun also as i'm having fun not only you're having fun because i'm having fun but we're both having fun at the same time that's much more reciprocal fun now the number one this uh, one around cause you can say for the happiness of kids in the netherlands what they discovered is bicycles you know like in queen songs bicycle 75% of the kids go back and forth to school using bicycles and also the parents use a lot of bicycles. In fact, in the Netherlands, one-fourth of all transportation that happens in the country happens on bicycles. This is the most in the whole world. And the interesting thing is that they don't allow these motorbikes in. 
You know, I, I just came from from Tel Aviv a few uh, weeks ago. Yes, they have this beautiful path for bicycles, but you're always getting like these uh, motorbikes like vroom, vroom, zooming through you and these uh, um, scooters everywhere that is super dangerous that you decide, okay, I'm not going to ride my bike because it's getting super dangerous. There, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to have the scooters. You're not allowed to have two motors. You can't uh, paddle yourself then Go to the gym and do it yourself. And the interesting thing is that what they discovered from new studies is that while you're taking your kids on bikes to school, back and forth to your work, you have this physical contact. They actually hold you. They actually look at you. You're sharing the same space. You're sharing conversations. And what they also did, a study also in San Diego that they found out, that kids that actually use bikes to get to their school and when parents take these kids on bikes... They know their neighborhoods and they can draw maps of the neighborhood much better than kids that are taking to the school with a car. When they sit in the back and they're tied to the car, here, the bicycle, they're interacting with their parents all the time. And apparently, knowing where you are makes you feel more confident, which totally makes sense. Because one of the biggest issues that people have, even when they come to charge with me, they don't know who they are. Who am I? What am I going? This creates uh, tension, uh, fear. So from an early age, kids can recognize uh, everywhere where they are because they're riding on the bike. So again, that bicycle is the number one. The other thing is that apparently they don't cancel events in the Netherlands with kids due to weather. It rains, deal with it. You know, deal with it. It's raining, take a coat, go out. There is always outside the outside is extremely important so even though netherlands is just as rainy as london probably uh, it's you know, it's almost the same uh, area they don't cancel events because of rain they just go out a lot they encourage their kids to go out as much as possible then they found out the dutch women don't get as depressed especially after pregnancy only eight percent of women uh, in in netherlands suffer from postpartum depression compared to 13 which is the average worldwide and apparently, they've been giving contraceptives uh, from 1972 and free from the government. And because of that, most of the birthing is done because they decided to have the birth and not because it just happened or there was an accident. So because the birthing are planned, apparently it's correlating to how much joy there is raising the kids. Obviously, it's like an unexpected guess compared to somebody who we were planning to have some uh, interaction with him. That's why the average also is 1.6 kids. And apparently, again, because of studies, they found that you have less kids. These kids actually grow way happier. Uh, one, two, three kids. You know, some people think that, oh, my kid is alone, doesn't have brothers and sisters. Apparently, according to at least studies, that's not true. Not only that, what happens in the Netherlands, once you give birth, you have eight days after your birth, you have a person coming to check on you for three hours every day. And if you have a birth in home, it's four more days. And think about it. You just gave birth. You're a mother. They check to you to see that you're not getting into sadness, that you know what you're doing, that if you have another kid, so helping, sometimes helping even with the cooking, helping with suggestions. I mean, it's amazing. Eight days. You know, in Judaism, after eight days, they cut their, uh, their foreskin. Great. Here, you have eight days that there is a woman coming to help you. And if you give birth at home, you have four more days of that. And in fact, the government is encouraging birth at home. They even provide a free doula. And 24%, almost one-fourth of birthing happens at home, which raises 
which actually lowers the uh, chances of uh, the post the depression after uh, pregnancy because you don't use epidurals, which apparently uh, is one of the major uh, reasons why uh, women can have depression after. Also, they have something interesting. It's called uh, the sacred time. It's between 6 to 7 p.m. that the family comes together to have dinner all together. Now, these are all things that you don't have to go to Netherlands to experience. You can start doing it with your own kids, even though maybe your neighbors might think that you're kind of crazy. But these are things that have been proven scientifically to work. So between 6 to 7 they all come together. No cells are allowed. People don't call you at that time. It's considered to be rude to call between 6 to 7 p.m. And also they make sure that the fathers and mothers are released in their work enough time to get at 6 to 7 to their dinner. And they sit together and they talk. They found out that actually families in the Netherlands have much more conversations. Everybody shares what they've done at that day. And not only that, they found out that uh, they work only 29.5 hours a week in Netherlands compared to, let's say, 13.8, 38.7 in U.S., 40.6 in Japan and in Israel. And apparently the productivity is just as good because, again, they have more quality time with their family. Then they have something called Papadag, which is basically Father Day. Once a week, uh, when the kids are under four years old, that the father gets to be home and uh, spend time with their kids. Um, apparently, one-fourth of men only work four days a week in order to be part of this ritual. Above uh, four years old, the father gets an afternoon. Then there is an interesting thing that I read, and I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. It's called the dropping, and it happens with the kids between the ages of 12 to 15. They take a group of youngsters, they put them in the forest, they leave them there in the middle of the night with a one primitive GPS and no other instruments, no phone, no cells, and then they need to find their way back alone to the camp. Usually it takes them four to five hours. This is precisely what they used to do in Australia, in the walkabout or the um, uh, when they left the, the kid at the age of 14, 15, and he needed to come to find his way back home. The, uh, also, the, um, uh, the Native American had that vision quest that is the same principle. So again, it's like their bar mitzvah. Instead of, like we said, foreskin off at the age of 13 or having to stand in front of your community and, and say some passage in the Bible that you might not connect to, they do something very practical. And the idea behind all of this is that what they decide is that we do not we're not going to refrain or 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 avoid our kids from getting into dangerous situation danger is everywhere we'll teach them how to deal with it instead of trying to uh, keep them away from it so for example there is a rule that the, until the age of 4 kids have to learn how to swim think about it netherlands is surrounded with water flooding so instead of having these rules that they have like in the united states and other places in pools you have to have these fences because kids can fall inside and drown instead of thinking of making the fences they say no let's just teach the kids how to swim as early as possible and they're not going to drown which totally makes sense so again it's interesting also that they don't hide bad news or harsh scenes uh, from uh, their kids. From 1981, they apparently have the teens news. It's available in TV, YouTube, and in schools where you actually see news that are for kids. They showed them 9-11 all the way with the planes clashing into the towers. They know about Me Too, Black Lives Matter, climate change. They're not trying to uh, keep their kids away from what is really happening. They're giving them tools to deal with it. In fact, they have also child press that curates by kids uh, for kids, which I think are all really, really brilliant uh, things. And then they found out in the Netherlands, through doing a lot of research, that IQ doesn't make you 
it doesn't correlate to happiness. So they don't stress so much facts and so much uh, competition. They teach them much more empathy, social skills, social responsibilities. And you know what? It works. Even sex education, they start at the age of four. They start teaching them how to say no to touch that is not comfortable for them. So they don't need to talk about bees and all that. They can just talk about it. And in fact, Dutch scored the highest in EU poll or study about sexual satisfaction. So the thing is that they also have this very strict um, routine. And that's something that uh, maybe we also have to learn from that. Because uh, what is happening in Netherlands is that they have very Virgo-like, very super nanny, so very Mary Poppins. You go to sleep in a certain hour, everybody does. So you can't say that your other kid in the school uh, went to see, uh, managed to see one other TV show and went to sleep at 10. Everybody, go, everybody wakes up in a certain time. Everybody eats the same thing. So it's not, you know, super, super relaxed and chill. They do get to get the no, but the no is done through routine. So... That's something you should totally try. And let's see now if I have any questions from everything I started talking. I'm sorry I talked so much. Today was the day I had so many readings and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to do this class at nine o'clock, but apparently uh, I can't shut up. Um, let's see. What is Taurus? What if no Taurus? Like I said, there is no things like no Taurus. You probably have a house that starts with Aries. That's what the house you have to look to. Um now let's look actually to see what we have to make sure that I have time for what is happening this week. So what we have this week is, yeah, today is January 23rd, apparently, is it? Yeah. It, um, it, so today we had the moon in Libra. Moon in Libra is the moon of peace. That's lovely. Tomorrow, the moon is continuing its journey in Libra. The moon in Libra usually talks in the tarot card, for example, it's the two of swords. And it always represents a time you have to make a spiritual decision. So for me, I know that every month for two days, we have moon in Libra. Libra is justice. Libra is decision. Everybody thinks that Libra don't know how to make decisions. It's not true. They know very well how to do it. It's just that they contemplate more before they do it. So the moon in Libra tomorrow is a good time to make a spiritual decision, something that you need to make your mind about. Again, you can see Venus and Mercury still retrograde. Um, what else is happening? There is a beautiful trine between the moon and the black moon tomorrow. So that could really help heal certain energies that you might feel of jealousy or problems in family. And the moon is actually sending great energy to Saturn as well. So it's almost as if tomorrow the moon is getting good, a flowing good energy to all the bad guys in the soap opera. Um, so it's kind of a good. What we have also is a little bit of square no, actually, it's not too bad. But uh, the North Node, as you can see, is 28 degrees Taurus. It's sending very, very nice energy to Pluto. So it means good transformation or our soul's connection to Taurus. Remember, we talked about needing to connect to Taurus, um, to finance, to talents is actually flowing very, very well on Tuesday, on, on Monday. And on Tuesday, the energy shifts completely because we're going to move to Moon in Scorpio. And Moon in Scorpio is is the fallen moon yes there's more magic there is more energy of uh, sexuality and intimacy but the moon is squaring the sun so the moon and the sun squaring is like father and mother are having a, a fight so again it could be a little bit more lack of satisfaction a little bit more heavy the energy but uh, the sun um, is it the sun no the moon is sending great energy to jupiter uh, which is always good so jupiter is enhancing the energies of the moon and 
Of course, the North Node and Mercury and Pluto are also getting strong positive energy. Mercury is about to retrograde out of Aquarius, which is not the easiest for us because when Mercury was in Aquarius this whole period of time from January 16 until January 26, it was in Aquarius. It's a little bit better. When Mercury is going to go retrograde in Capricorn from Wednesday, it's getting a little bit tougher. We're going to have Venus retrograde in Capricorn and Mercury retrograde in Capricorn. We have Mars in Capricorn and we have Pluto in Capricorn. It's a little bit more delays. So things are going to take more time to manifest. If we look and, uh, at Wednesday, as you can see, Mercury is in uh, Capricorn. That's a little bit heavy and it's going closer and closer to Pluto. So the miscommunication can be a little bit more deadly in the end of the, I mean, this from Wednesday for a few more days. We'll see how long it takes. But that's not the easiest energy of Mercury retrograde, even though he's getting still good energy from the North Node. It tells us that whatever is happening Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is supposed to happen. You just have to accept it. Uh, but that being said, on Wednesday, the moon is sending beautiful energy to Neptune. That's really good for dreams, meditation, mysticism, movement, um, dance really channeling a lot of uh, information. Don't forget that when Venus is retrograde and Mercury retrograde, there is more synchronicities, more coincidences, more crazy things happen, but they don't always have to be bad. And if you look at the chart, uh, for those of you who can see, there is no opposition. And that's really good because it means that a lot of our problems are coming from inside of us or that we're forced to do, uh, forced into action that we might not want to take, but it could also be our decisions. When there is a lot of oppositions, like full moon, then we're pushed and pulled by different energies. But right now, it seems like at least in Wednesday, there is not that much opposition. Things can flow much better, even though the moon is squaring a sat. Um, yeah, the moon is squaring Saturn on Wednesday. So it could be a little bit more tough with women who are older than us. It could be a little bit more tough with family members, especially because the moon is waning uh, is waning, and its moon is, is fallen. But that beautiful line from the moon to Minerva and to Neptune really facilitate and make things much, much better. If we look at Thursday, January 27, it's Thursday, yeah. Uh, we have Mercury getting closer and closer because, again, Mercury is retrograde. Pluto, even though it's slow, it's moving. So whenever a planet is retrograde, another planet is not retrograde, their collision is much stronger. Their bang is much more powerful. So, again, Pay attention at the end of the week. Your miscommunication can be a little bit more deadly. It could be also related to clashes with people of authority, powerful people. So just be a little bit more careful. And you can see that Venus is coming closer and closer to uh, Mars. We'll talk about it a little bit more next week and the week after because it's kind of a great thing uh, for us. Because Venus and Mars coming together, even if Venus retrograde, it's great. Uh, the moon is moving into Sagittarius. Much more optimism, upbeat energy. Be careful of not overdoing, overfeeling. You might be a little bit more emotional because the moon is squaring Jupiter. But um, again, Pluto, Mercury are sending beautiful energy to the North Node. The North Node is not a planet, but it's still an energy field, you can say, of what our soul desires to learn. So whatever is our soul desiring to learn based on what we talked about just before, you're getting facilitated at least. And even though there's misunderstanding, it could be divine misunderstanding, meaning things that you are supposed to misunderstand because you're supposed to discover something out of it. Then on Friday, January 28, when the moon is continuing in Sagittarius, goods for travel, to study, to learn, there is an opposition between the moon and the black moon, but the black moon is not really a, a heavenly body, so it's okay. And Venus is stationary. So again, on the 28 and the 29, 
is when Venus is stationary before she begins her going direct at last. So the good news is Sunday she's going direct. So things are happening. Yes, there is a shadow, but really good energy is starting to flow with Venus. Because when Venus was so constricted for so long, it's like a string. Now it's going to open up much more, even financially, even with your talents, even with your self-worth, with relationship, with partnership. Things are, bang, opening up really, really well. Um, so that's going to be really helpful for us. Uh, what we also have is... Mercury is really coming in conjunct to Pluto. It's going to be more in Saturday and Sunday. But uh, Venus going direct is going to really help us. So where are we? Friday, Moon in Sagittarius. And on uh, Saturday, we're going to have Venus uh, in Capricorn, Mars in Capricorn, Moon in Capricorn, Mercury in Capricorn, Pluto in Capricorn. It's 50% in Capricorn. Very slow energy. But there is a beautiful flow between Venus and uh, Uranus because she's retrograding almost to a perfect trine but still it's applying it's really good it's an um, uh, introduction to strange interesting people a uh, kind of um, artistically speaking thinking outside of the box even uh, financially good things with technology innovation and the moon being in Capricorn maybe not the easiest but Mars being in Capricorn is really good for us so Mars in Capricorn gives us a great deal of power now that Mars is in Capricorn, it's exalted. It's going to be there until March 5. Really strong energy of manifesting things, making things happen. So that's really good. And then we have finally on Sunday, we will talk again, the first day of Venus going direct on January 30th. So it's a one big hallelujah. You see still that there is no opposition. So no excuses. Things can actually happen. So... Um, Thank you very much for being part of our uh, little um, gathering here. I'm sorry that um, my eyes are kind of red from uh, uh, being awake for too many hours, at least for me, too many hours. Uh, so it was also crazy sh snow here, which was kind of funny because now we're in, in uh, Aquarius. And Aquarius is a water sign. And I thought about it. Water signs. Aquarius is always the dead of winter. And it's crazy snow right now. It's water that is fixed ain't moving nowhere it's even more than snow in ice it's snow so thanks a lot for making it hello everybody i'll see you soon in uh in la and again if you're around um on the fifth i said i think the fourth oh my god um next week or the week after i'm gonna do this um a class so you have that information you know what i'll put it here again just in case uh where is it it says somewhere i think it's in the beginning yeah it's on february 5th at 4 p.m in santa monica so we're going to do a, a class and a book signing again thank you very much and hold tight it's almost done with the venus retrograde and then almost done with the mercury retrograde so we're going to have good news coming very very soon thanks a lot thank you guys